Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now, so if you've got your Bible with you, uh, please open up to Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 10 to verse 14 together. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has been desecrated. Well, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship foreign gods. Worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Uh, we, we're hitting some really interesting stuff, some really applicable stuff uh, for us living in today, not just God's people some hundreds of years ago. So uh, I'm glad you're here to join us for that. And um, yeah, we're just going to try and cover as much as this passage and a few more verses as we can this morning. Let's pray before we do that because we're going to need God's help. Father God, we just thank you for being a loving Father as we sang. We thank you that you, you speak to us out of concern for us, that you want the best for us that you want us to draw near to you and experience your love. So, Lord, as we uh, get into your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us in love, Lord. Draw us near to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the other announcement we didn't talk about earlier on in the service is that tonight, tonight it happens. The opening series of Farmer Wants a Wife. Uh, if you haven't had enough dating reality TV shows, this is the real one. This is the one we've been waiting for all year. It's real love is back. And they can say that they've got the evidence. They say more marriages have come out of this reality dating TV show than any other. More babies have come uh, out of this TV show. Babies in marriage, I probably should say. I'm not sure. That. Anyway. Uh, more babies in families have come out of this TV show than any other. That's why they're promoting real love is back. We can engage with it. I mean, sort of, a love story is always intriguing to me. It's engaging because I always like a good love story because there's so many bad stories. There's so many bad experiences. But what about if love is, is promised that there is a bigger love? Like, is real love just about the dating experience or the marriage experience? What if real love was something bigger than that? Sure, it involves marriage. But is love just found in marriage or is something bigger and greater? 
Where do we find that? What does that look like? That's where we're going this morning because God wants to put this whole marriage thing in perspective for his people in Israel so many years ago, but even for us today. It's the same God. It's the same relationships and he wants to explain it all. So this is where God the Father sits down with his children. I'm not sure whether you picked this up in the reading, but in these opening verses, God wants to affirm he is our Father God. He says, do we all have one Father? This is Malachi, uh, he's the prophet, sort of speaking the word to the people. Do we all have one Father? And he's expecting everybody to go, yeah, as God's family, we have one Father. Who is he? Well, he's God. Do we not have, uh, did one God create us? Yeah. Well, who is he? It's God. We have one Father God. He's establishing this relationship again. This is not just words or a book of rules or this is how you live uh, to, to be a good Christian. This is the words of a Father God. This image we had last week that Ryan had for us, I think was very helpful in understanding how, how we should relate to God. Because we call God our Father. It's not my language. It's not our language. It's the language that God uses to describe the kind of relationship he has with us. This photo is John F. Kennedy. He's a president of America at the time. So uh, the ruler, one of the most powerful rulers of the world, one of the most powerful countries in the world of its day. And like, He's got so much authority, so much power, so much respect. Yet, on the other hand, his kids are playing at his feet. So he's not only ruler, power, authority, but he's also a dad. He's a family man. He's affectionate. He loves his kids. He lets his kids play under the business table. I don't know whether those kids even appreciate that. They're like, this is dad. He's just doing his thing. But yet... A hundred-odd cameramen are taking photos of this scene because this is the president, the most powerful man in the world. Yet he's also a family man, affectionate with his kids. So it's holding these two things together. And God's saying, do we have one father? He's our father God, that we can relate to him as a father. But he's also our creator God, the creator who created everything, the most powerful thing in the universe. It's God. The universe wasn't here without him. He's so powerful. You've got to hold those two things together. And as a father speaks to his children, as he's going to today, we sometimes think, you know, if God is my father and I should relate to him that way, I haven't actually had that fatherly experience that uh, if he's like my dad, that didn't go so great. But the way the Bible talks about God the Father is that he is like the model father. He's the perfect father. It's people like me aspire to be like him. So he's so much better than what we might have experienced. He's the one who's speaking to us. And he's sitting down with his children in Israel and saying, all is not well. He goes on to say, "Why?" Uh, this is Malachi uh, preaching God's, God's word. Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? What he's holding attention here is we want to cling to this vertical relationship of God. God is our Father, He's awesome, He's Creator. We'll cling on to that one because of His supremacy. We want that relationship. But often we tend to think of the relationship with God, that vertical, is private. That's just something me and what I believe. And we disconnect it from the horizontal. But what God's saying here is actually what you're doing horizontally is important. We want to make the horizontal all about us. This is my playground. You can stay out of this, God, because the vertical is just between you and me. God's going, no, 
if, if we're serious, it's the vertical and the horizontal. They go together. How you treat others is important. And it's important enough for the Father God to sit down with his children and have this, this conversation. So he's got his uh, family around. You can picture it as uh, sitting around the dining table. The language it uses, he's, he addresses the men, so he's talking to the sons. But it, it's applicable to everybody, all of us here. Uh, and he's got four things to say particularly about their marriages. Because when we talk about the horizontal and, and what we, how we deal with one another, the most intimate uh, relationship that we will have in this lifetime is to our marriage partners. So he's going to point the finger right at that. And I want you to know, if you're not married and you're like, oh man, why did I get out of bed this morning if we're going to talk about marriage this morning? Uh, it was raining, it was hard to get out, but I'm here and now you're going to do this to me. This is all so important for us as a family. Whether you're not married, soon to be married, you are married, surrounded by marrieds, this is super important because what you'll find is we're going to talk a lot about marriage, but it's actually not about marriage. You'll see by the time we get to the end of it. He's got four things to say. Firstly, it's important who you marry. He goes on to talk about uh, Judah and their unfaithfulness. Judah's another name for Israel, his church family. But he's almost like looking at one of his sons in, his eye, in, in their eye and, and giving them uh, the message. Now, when he points to them, he wants to say, look, it's important who you marry because you, you're going out, you're not putting any thought, you're marrying, he, he describes it as someone who worships a foreign god. Now, in those days, everybody aligned with... Everybody had a God, and they announced it publicly. God or gods. And I follow this, I'll go to this temple. Who do you... What temple do you go to? I'll go to this temple. And he's going, you're marrying somebody who doesn't know me, doesn't love me. So when he says, um, those who are not believing in me, someone who doesn't know God, God our Father, we're talking about someone who doesn't believe, doesn't have a relationship, and doesn't call him Father. So we might say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, I come to this church, but I'm going to marry this other person. They're okay with it, they're cool with it. They don't follow other gods, like these people. We all follow something. We all have beliefs, we all have values. And he's going, if your values don't align, there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. In this case, it's, some, it's obvious, someone who worships a foreign god from different background, different beliefs. But the father's concern here, remember how we started? It's the father talking. This is not a whole bunch of rules. This is a father going, I'm concerned because the most important thing for me is our relationship. This is the father talking to you. The father-child relationship is the most important thing, more important than creation, more important than anything in the universe. So important is his relationship with you. He's going to send his son to come and die for you. This is how important this relationship is. So if this relationship is important, it's important who you marry because marriage is going to either help or hinder that relationship with God. It's either going to bring you closer to God in that journey or further apart if the person's not on the same journey as you. Hear it all the time. that People say... Christians uh, share, share what they're struggling with. And they say, look, I've got, I've got my relationship with God. And I find if I want to draw nearer to God, if my spouse is not with me, I'm drawing further away from her because she's not on the same path. But if I draw closer to her, I know I'm drawing further away from God because they're going two different directions. 
God's going, how good would it be for you to marry? This is a marriage partner, a life partner, to be on the same journey, to be drawing near to God. That's the most important relationship. So let's do it together. Do it together, he's saying. That's why this is so important. The second thing he's going to say... Oh, that's tricky. There is a second thing. Uh, Faithfulness... Sorry, now if we can lost my spot faithfulness in your marriage is faithfulness to god and we read out the passage about the guy who goes to the temple and he he claims to be a part of the family he looks like uh, he's the good christian guy he goes to the temple he goes to the altar he weeps at the altar he brings his offering and why isn't god answering my prayers why isn't god listening to me and god turns around and says are you kidding me you're being unfaithful to your wife. I see what's going on. You don't love her. You're putting your love to someone else and you're no worshipper at all. He's saying you're being cut off. That's what he's saying. Faithfulness in your marriage reflects your faithfulness to God. You can't come and pretend to be part of the family and live this double life of going uh, to, to, to be with another person. He uses language, you've made a covenant with her, the wife of your youth. He says, it's like reminding him of, remember your wedding day? Wedding day when the couples come up the front and if it's a Christian wedding, we say, this is before everybody here and before God, you make your vows. To love and honour, to have and to hold, till death to us part. It's like, till death to you, death is the only thing that's going to break up this marriage if if you're true to your vows. But he says, you're throwing your love to another woman. You're running to the arms of another woman. That's not a covenant. That's not an agreement. That's not a promise. If you can't get that horizontal thing right, what do you think is going on with the vertical? You're playing games with me. It's not on. Faithfulness in your marriage is faithfulness to God. You need to protect your marriage. Protect your marriage bed. You need to be committed to your spouse particularly when we're so driven by the, the whole life motto, if it feels right, do it. You know, it's not, not for me there anymore, I'll do it over here. It's like, no, no, that's not how we do things in this family, God is saying. A true worshipper of God is faithful husband or wife because we can't fool God. The third thing, to raise your children to know our Father God. He goes on to say, has not the one God made you? Again, he's asking the questions. Has one God made you? Yeah, who is it? Yeah, it's our Father. You belong to him in body and spirit. It's like it's not just a spiritual thing, but, but holy. 100% we belong to him. So what does he want of us? What does God want to seek from you in a marriage context? This is, this is so countercultural, this one. I see godly offspring. I want you guys to have kids. And I want them to be kids who know me, who love me, who are near to me. That's what God wants of you and your marriage. I really associate with this one because um, if you know me at all, but if you don't know me, I'll tell you a little bit anyway. Two adult children, uh, one's married, the other one's soon to be married. Um, And what do I want in my stage of life with married kids? A quiet house and empty nesting, did someone say? A little bit of truth in that. I want grandchildren. 
Of course I want grandchildren. <clears throat> 30th of September, can't come quick enough, because Ashley's expecting. Found out the other day, it's going to be a girl. And just all of a sudden, it becomes real then. I'm going to be a granddad, I want to be pop. Why am I so excited? Because, because I'm looking to, to hold my little grandchild, to bring her in close. I want to know her, know her personality. I want to love her. I want her to call me pop. I want to be her pop. I want to have the opportunity to love her. To, to have that relationship with her. I want her close. And I think I'm looking forward to that day, and it brings me great joy. But I sort of think, hey, this is, this is just a taste of what God is talking about. God loves children, and he loves to be near them. He loves to be close to them. He loves to love them. So he says, this is the same God who said to Adam and Eve, go out and multiply. Go and have lots of kids, because I want lots of kids. I want the big family. But I want them to know me, to be close to me. I want to have the relationship with them. And that is so important. It says in the New Testament, Jesus says, if anyone leaves any child astray, he'd be better off having a millstone put around his neck and thrown in the ocean. If you lead a child astray from me. This is the most important thing, affirming that relationship. I'm a God, the loving Father. And I want to have kids that know me. That's why he brings back to the, the marriage. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Have a marriage that is pointing your children to that relationship with God. Fourthly, fight for your marriage. And he goes on to say, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Now, in this culture, even this, this is like 450 years before Jesus, divorce was very common, it was part of life, and it was quite easy. For the man particular, because the men in that culture had all the rights, they could easily just say, you know what, I'm not feeling it anymore, uh, it's over, I'm done. Go down to the elders, certificate of divorce, there you go, on your way. It was very easy. That's the sort of person that, that the father's eyeing off, another son sitting around the table. You can't do that. You can't do that. Now, I want to just say, if you've got one of the uh, Bible that's an older translation, like an older NIV, uh, King James Version, you'll find it says, it opens up this verse where it says, God hates divorce, almost with an exclamation mark. Um, and you go, hang on, this is a different message to what this verse is saying. And a lot of work has been done. This is very complicated grammatically. We're talking about old... Uh, Hebrew language that, that is not common anymore. And a lot of research has been done by what are their oldest texts, uh, work on grammar and looking at other texts that, that use similar words, uh, but also consistency without the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, so newer translations, ESV, our newer version of the NIV, translate it this way. It has got a different meaning because uh, it's often the go-to verse for people who say, Never divorce. Never, ever divorce. Uh, if, you, if you say God hates divorce. But it's actually not saying that. It's more consistent with the message of cross-scripture. Cross God allows divorce back in Deuteronomy. God uses the language when Israel has been unfaithful to him. Uh, so in, in that uh, metaphor, God's, God's the husband and they're the wife. He goes, you've been unfaithful to me, spiritually unfaithful by going to other gods. I divorce you. God even uses that language. So there's, he's not saying don't divorce, but he is saying you need to fight for your marriage. You need to have a high view of marriage. Because he's talking to the person, uh, the man, who is quick to divorce. He's not fighting for his marriage. 
He hates, he's not loving. He might not be physically violent, but there's an element of violence there, whether it's emotional abuse or definitely a violence in a way of, I'm walking away from you, I'm abandoning you. And he's abandoning her when he should be protecting her. And the father's saying, don't easily walk away from your marriage. God has a high view of marriage. God invented marriage. It's a good thing. Fight for it. Don't walk away lightly. And by us having uh, God's priorities, we're living out uh, what he desires for us. There are four things. Four things are kind of confronting for each of us in different ways, but very countercultural. But I hope you can see it's coming from a loving father to his children. I want to bless you. I want to love you. I want to hold you close. I want the most important relationship in the world between you and me not to be hindered. This is why I'm explaining this about, about your marriage. And as a father God, he wants to bless you as his child. And this is, this is how... This is the ideal picture. I want to spend a few minutes on saying, why is this so hard for us? But also, uh, hard for us, in, and it's countercultural, but why it's so easy for us uh, to get the message confused as a church as well, as we ponder this. See, today, it's, it's quite normal for people to say, don't tell me what's best for me in my relationships, who I marry or who I sleep with. Who are you to tell me that? Who are you to tell me what to do with my body, about kids? It's my body. I can have kids if I want kids, when I want kids. Uh, I can choose to terminate any time. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. That's my choice. That's my territory. And anyway, marriage is not worth fighting for. I've seen it, and it doesn't work anyway. So I have a low view of marriage. That's the world we live. And if you're listening to this stuff and going, hang on, I feel really uncomfortable and this is why, I get it. I get it. So I live in the same world as you guys and I'm hearing the same messages from everyone else. I'm going, this, what God is saying, is radically different to what the world we live in, to our society. But you've got to see, God is not like... You know, up there on a cloud, waving a, a thunderbolt, ready to strike you down, saying, obey my rules or else. He's not, he's not like the fun police going, you can't do that. That's too much fun. You need to be over my side. We're all serious and sit at home. He's not like that. But it's God saying, I am your father, your loving father. I want the best for you and I want you near to me. And that is the best place. God the Father, it, it's got the posture of like he's got his arms open, saying, come to me, come to me, come near to me. He wants to have a genuine relationship with us, but also genuine, us to have genuine relationships with those around us. It's that one hand on the vertical, I've got God, the loving Heavenly Father, and I've got my hand held on those around me and close to me. I can have those relationships. That's very different from the world around us. But that's what God is inviting us into. I just want to also touch on why is God's message so misunderstood? And I want to talk about in church and how churches misunderstand marriage and apply that. And in the, in the process, uh, yeah, lots of people have been hurt by this. I'll move through them pretty quickly. I've got lots of notes here. But uh, we're going to move through them quickly. If you want, me, want to talk to me about them, happy to later that we can make an idol of marriage. 
that marriage is such a, we have such a high view of marriage that we want to defend marriage, we want to make marriage law and legal, that we want to fight anything that's going to attack marriage, particularly marriage between a man and a woman, the whole same-sex marriage debate. We were like defenders of the faith and that is protecting marriage in our society. So much so there is a danger of us putting marriage on the throne and actually pushing God to the side. We'll fight about marriage, defend marriage, but actually not. We'll forget about fighting for God and defending God. And how this works out, I'll give you a few examples. We demand society follow our ways. For example, a same-sex marriage debate. And I'm not saying uh, we shouldn't have been involved in that same-sex marriage debate. We should actually be grieving the state of marriage in our society, the state of broken families, the state of abortions that they're all in. There's lots of things that we should grieve about our society. But you might have noticed, this is God talking to his children. This is how I want you to draw me near to me. This is how I want you to live. He's not saying to the pagans down at the other temples, you need to do this too. Because he knows they're not. They have other gods to follow. But yet we say, no, no, don't touch the idol. Don't touch the marriage. It's all about about marriage if we do that and everybody should be worshipping our idol in marriage rather than saying we want them to worship our loving God as a church we tend to lean on the the attitude no divorce don't get divorced do whatever you can if there's uh, any sort of abuse in your family if love's dried out of your family no just do anything but don't get divorced or we have the attitude, if somebody is divorced, we treat them like a second-class Christian. Oh, look, I'm sorry. And, oh, look, that's, um, you know, cross on your record. You didn't pass the test because, you know, having somebody in their 80s married, you know, that's, that's the good Christian couple, uh, which we should honour that, by the way. But it's like, if you fail in that test, you've actually failed the test of being a Christian. That we hold it so much. Uh, and make divorcees second-class citizens. And we also force people to stay in marriages when they probably shouldn't. That's a big one. Uh, we make singleness second best. We actually imply, we don't do this deliberately, I don't think, but we imply, gee, why aren't you married? You know, gee, one day, the right time, you'll find the right person. It's almost like saying, one day you'll be complete when you find the partner. So one day, you, you'll, you'll be complete by having your hands on the idol of marriage. And we make them feel like they're missing out. You're not missing out. Jesus was single. Lots of people in Scripture were single. And God used them in mighty ways. They had relationships with God. You're not second best uh, as single. And I should also say, I hope you can see that through this passage, that it's not... We've spoken a lot about marriage, but it's not about marriage. It's about a relationship with God and drawing near to God. That's what it's about. And if we treat marriage as the idol, that you've made it once you get the wedding ring on, we're wrong. Last one, uh, we oversell marriage as churches. We promise so much. Oh, if you do it this way, you know, running through the four things that I just said here. If you do all this, you'll have the perfect marriage. If you stay celibate, Commit to one person. You'll have the best marriage, the best intimacy, the best sex life ever. All that will happen for you. You know, this is going to be so good for you. Marriage is hard. It's hard work. When you are married, you're always asking the question, is it worth staying? It's easier without it. It's hard. I know singleness is hard, but also I know being married is hard too. I've done both. The... Um, 
But we tend to oversell marriage. And we end up with people... Like, if you think you're getting married is going to resolve your life issues, it's like, I'll get my hands on the idol and then I'll be right. You'll be really disappointed. Disappointing the other person, but you'll be a mess if you think that's the answer. So we can actually distort our view of marriage. God has a high view of marriage, but we need to remember he has a higher view of himself as a loving father. What I mean is, and I don't think I've got this, I want to jump back to verse 15. I think this is a classic example. The way God explains himself here, uh, talking about the priority of marriage compared to the priority of God himself, has not the one God made you, You belong to him, body and spirit. What he's saying is, my relationship with you is the most important thing in the world. So much so, I sent my son to go and reach out to save you. Then he says, "Ah, this is what I want to seek from you, my people. Godly offspring, good marriages. That's what I'm pursuing. He doesn't say it the other way around. He doesn't say, if you've got a good marriage, if you've got the perfect marriage, if you've got perfect kids, then you can draw near to me. Then you're my child. No. But yet often... We tend to think, unless I've got the perfect marriage and the perfect kids, I'm not, I'm not a proper Christian. But he's going, no, number one first. Have a high view of marriage, because he's talking about, hey, this is important. But have a higher view of your relationship with God. That is primary. That doesn't matter if you're single. doesn't matter if you're married. doesn't matter if you're having trouble in your marriage. doesn't matter if you're separated. doesn't matter what stage of life. You're my child. I love you. I made you. I want you near. I feel like I've kind of ripped the band-aid off lots of things this morning and not had time to address it all. So if you want to talk to me, feel free. But I want, want you to do as well, uh, if you're married, talk about this stuff with, with your partner, your spouse, of just going, are we on the same journey? Let's get on this journey to draw near to God together. But if you're going through stuff that's not right, that there is abuse in your marriage, that there is stuff going on that should be dealt with. Uh, doesn't matter if you're single or married. Talk to someone. There's plenty of people in this church that want to listen and that want to help. We also have professionals in this church that can help in that way as well. So please don't just sit and suffer in misery about your marriage. Do something about it so we can be on that journey connecting with God I'm going to pray now as I said ripping the band-aid off lots of things I'm going to pray for lots of different scenarios and I hope that I'm praying for you because I know there's lots of hurt around uh, around these subjects we've talked about this morning please pray with me dear father God you thank you for loving us unconditionally thank you for speaking into our world as your children with a message of love That you don't put up boundaries full of rules and regulations, but you reach out to us in love. Lord, we just want to commit ourselves to you with a real real heart, knowing that for those of us in marriage, some of us are really doing it tough at the moment. We want to commit ourselves to you to resolve that, to get on the path with our spouses, to be drawing near to you. Some of us here this morning are single and we're really struggling with that. Lord, we want to draw near to you and focus on you. Lord, some of us are here um, who don't yet know you. And this all is pretty intense. And Lord, we want to commit us, those people to you as well. To know that this is not about rules, not about marriage, but, but about knowing you. And for people with spouses who don't know you, 
Well, give them wisdom. Give them your love to carry them on the journey towards you. Lord, we want to commit our parents to you that are battling to raise their kids. The parenting is so hard to to raise them and especially to know you and to, to, to show that you are real. Lord, we want to commit to you the parents whose kids have walked away. We've got serious questions. Lord, hear their prayers. Draw those kids near to you. Lord, speak into the lives of our children, we plead. Lord, we also commit to you our couples who, who would love to have kids uh, but are struggling to do that. Lord, hear their prayers. Answer their prayers, we plead, Lord. And we also commit to you our couples expecting to have kids and the responsibility before them. Lord, give them the confidence that you are real and it's good to, to steer them, even in their young minds, as young disciples of you. Lord, we're in a broken world and we're broken people. Thank you for reaching out to us through Jesus, that he is the one who picks up the mess and enables us to come to you. We don't have to have the perfect marriage. We don't have to have the perfect family. But through Jesus, we can be your children. Thanks for being a loving father. Thanks for not pushing us away.